Good evening, Encounter Church. I want to welcome you all. Thank you for coming. And I would also like to welcome all those who are joining us uh, via social media, whether it be YouTube or Facebook. Um, we are in the uh, studies of the book of Hebrews, which is a... Uh, little version of the book of Leviticus. But before we go into our lesson, uh, I would like to express my appreciation to our pastor, Willie Berry, as well as his wife, Sister Robin. It is said that a commanding officer's rank or insignia is on the shoulders of his uniform and the soldier's insignias are on their arms. The placement of the officer's rank on his shoulder signifies the burden of leadership he carries. The enlisted soldier's rank is on the arm which indicates the brawny nature of his work, serving his countries with sweat, strength, and arms. I'm here to tell you that Pastor Willie and Sister Robin serve in the army of the living God with both brain and brawn. They wear their insignia both on their shoulders and on their arms. God bless our pastoral family. I would also like to greet uh, all the Macedonians myself being a Macedonian, who are tuned in to this live stream. Amen. Isto taka bisakal dagi pozdavam site makedonci na sekade koje se vključeni vo ovoj živ prenos. Amen. First of all, I'd like to say that my topic is the superiority of Christ. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did not at any certain time receive superiority if our supremacy, if you will. The Lord Jesus Christ is and forever will be the Almighty God, the Son, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, the second person of the Trinity. He, along with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, comprised the triune Godhead, one God manifest in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These three are one in unity and purpose. This is very well illustrated in the book of Genesis. God uses the word, let there be, or fiat. Did you know the word, the Latin word fiat? Uh, that's where they got when they started, uh, when they started searching for a name for the car. So the, the, the fiat means let there be. So when God created the light, he said, let there be. And there was light. And for everything else that he created, he said, 
let there be, or just simply let. But when God got ready to make man, he used the words let us. Let us make man in our plural, in our image and in our likeness. And so God made man and woman. However, due to disobedience, both the man and the woman sinned and fell from grace. And because they fell from grace, it became necessary for man to make atonement for his sins. After pronouncing judgment on Adam and Eve, our first parents, God, in his predestined counsel, not only did he execute judgment on the man and the woman and the serpent, the devil, but he also set in motion the redemptive plan of salvation for now fallen mankind that would one day come by his only son, God's only son. Genesis 3.15 tells us, I will make... I will make enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, Christ, will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. After wickedness prevailed on the face of the earth, God executed judgment on the earth by flood, sparing none except Noah, his wife, and his three sons and their wives. Genesis 4, 16, And as they began to repopulate the earth, man began to call on the name of the Lord. God called Moses from the burning bush and gave him the law consisting of 613 ordinances and precepts. For the sake of time, I will fast forward to the New Testament. Galatians 3, 24 tells us, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, amen, by faith, not by the works of the law. The law required works, but faith does not. Romans 3.20 tells us, for by, by the works of the law, in other words, going through all the sacrificial rituals, that's considered works. So, by the works of the law, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.20, no human being will be justified in God's sight, because through the law comes knowledge or awareness of sin. That is what Paul said, had it not been for the law, I would have not known sin. Amen. Ephesians 2 and 8 through 9 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are talking about the superiority of Christ and why he came to establish a better covenant. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Do any of you wonder why some writings in the Bible are worded so? The law was given to Moses, 
by God on Mount Sinai, and he in turn gave it to the people. Grace and truth came to us in person by Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. Again, it had to be so because of the predetermined counsel of God before the foundation of the world, that Christ should come into the world and be offered as a pleasing, holy, and acceptable sacrifice for the, for the redemption of mankind once and for all. Paul said to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Hebrews 10, chapter 10, verses 5, 6, 7, and 9. Therefore, when Christ came, came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. This is Christ speaking. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me from Genesis to Revelation. When I tell you this, trust me, it's true. It's all about Christ. Amen. Amen. Then he said, behold, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. Speaking of the law, Paul said, that which is old and is decaying must be done away with to make room for the new. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came to us bodily in the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. The superiority of Christ is the theme of the book of Hebrews. The book was written for the Christian Jews who were going through a tremendous persecution because they found it very, very hard to break away from their heritage. They were professing to be followers of Christ, and yet they wanted to participate in the daily rituals of sacrifices of the, in the temple from which they were banned because they professed their faith in Christ, they were banned from the temple. In a sense, you might say they were, they were being, you know, they were being uh, favored uh, by God by, for doing that, but they, they themselves wanted to be in, in the temple and to participate in the, in the, off, in the offerings. So they, they were banned because they were professing their faith in Christ. The writer of Hebrew is compelling them to fully commit themselves to Christ by representing Christ as, as superior over the Levitic priesthood. The Levitic priesthood 
included daily sacrifices for diverse sins and for whatever that you were commanded to bring for the priest to offer for the sins that you wanted to be pardoned for day after day after day. However, once a year, on a day called the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter into the so-called holiest of holies to make atonement for all the Hebrew people. But before he went in, he would undergo a cleansing ritual for himself. Because he himself was sinful. He would have to wash himself, put on special garments, bring burning incense, and I never knew this, the burning incense was so the smoke would fill the holiest of holy, that he would not gaze upon the Shekinah glory, now be not be able to gaze directly on the Shekinah glory of God that filled the holiest of holy. And so the smoke would cover his eyes from direct view of God. And then he would bring sacrificial blood with him to make atonement for the sins of the people. This went on and on, day after day. And like I said, once a year, this is what the priest would have to do. And I was telling the pastor earlier that tradition has it that the, the, the high priest, when he make, when he, before he went into the holiest of holy, they would tie a rope to his ankle. And of course, there was always the bells on his special garment that he wore. And that was that if he was slain by God for not being fit to minister in there, <laughs> they would be able to pull him out of there because no one can enter the holiest of holies except the high priest. And so you're getting an image from all this of, the, of, the, of our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Hebrews, God is saying to us, I have better things for you. Everybody say better. better. All right. What the Christian Jews need and what mankind needed was a perfect priest who could open the way to God once and for all. Amen. A perfect priest who could perform a perfect sacrifice. Amen? Amen. That didn't just deal with one sin as the people of Israel came to present their sacrifices for their particular sin, sins. Our Lord and Savior Je Jesus Christ, the high priest of God, came not to deal with one sin, but to take away all sin forever. 
Amen. And the writer of Hebrew is telling us that this is exactly what Jesus came and did. He became a better mediator of a better covenant. A better because it didn't have to be repeated every day. Because by offering himself, by offering himself, the Lamb of God, without spot or blemish, there was no sin in him. The Bible says he knew no sin. Praise God. Because by offering himself on the cross of Calvary, his sacrifices covered sin once and for all. Aren't you glad? I am. I am. I, I really don't know what it was like in the days of, of uh, Israel with all the rituals that they had to perform for the forgiveness of their sin. The laying the hands uh, uh, on the goat to place the sin of the people that they may be sanctified. But every time this was done, there was a remembrance of sin. And it would have to be done over and over and over each day. And once a year, it had to be performed for all the peoples. By offering himself on the cross of Calvary, his sacrifice covers every sin once and for all. And he is a high priest who does not need to make any sacrifices for himself because he is totally perfect and without sin his perfect sacrifice eliminated sin the bible tells us that uh, he casts him he casts our sin in the sea of his forgetfulness we still have remembrances of sin, but we are assured that from the time we ask Christ to save us and to forgive us of all our sins, He, God, is able to cast all the sins of each and every individual that comes to Him to be remembered no more against that. And so, if it come, when, it, when you look at it, no one can point the finger at you and say, well, he did this and that prior to you getting saved because Jesus will simply turn around and say, I don't know what you're talking about. I forgave him, him or her, and I don't remember any of the sins that he, that he committed. Isn't that wonderful? I think it's, it's just glory to God. Praise God. He is the perfect sacrifice without sin and his sacrifice eliminated eliminated sin but this man Jesus Christ after he offered one sacrifice own sinless body on the cross sat down that's what the Bible says he sat down when God, when he ascended into heaven he sat down on the right hand of God. 
There was nothing more to be done. The sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross was completely complete. I don't know. I, I, I didn't mean to say that, but it's just what it is. Completely complete. That either, there's, there's no need for any other sacrifice because he offered his own body, sinless body, on the cross. There's nothing more to be done. So he went back home and sat down on the right hand of the Father. Amen. That's what the Bible tells us. New and better priesthood. Amen? Amen. Jesus, the only mediator, he became the only mediator between God and man. Paul said there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And I shared with Brother Mark, where is he? I said, Brother Mark, it's, it, it, it's not just about God, the Son, the Almighty. It's about the man. Mm -hmm. So the Bible says that there's only one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. A new and better priesthood. A new and better covenant. The old covenant had all the rituals to be performed on a daily basis. And then once a year, the, all the people came so the priest could, priest could atone for their sins by offering a sacrifice to God. We have grace and truth that came to us, as I said earlier, in the person of Jesus Christ. Grace, and, grace is not works. The, the Grace, the Bible says is a gift. The law and the sacrificial rituals of the law were works. New and better sacrifices. There was bloodshed with the sacrifices. Our sacrifices to God, once we have received salvation by the one offering of Christ Jesus, are thanksgiving and praise. We glorify God. We praise Him. We sing to Him. These are our sacrifices. And the, and the Bible tells us that they, the, our prayers, our singing, our worship come before God as a sweet-smelling incense. Glory to God. Glory. Praise God. Amen. And new and better sacrifices. Isn't that how the song goes, Pastor? We offer unto you, Lord, sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. New and better sanctuary. When God, when Solomon got, was done with the temple and dedicated to God, he himself prayed. He said, why the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. How much more this temple? And later on, God would say it himself. That we are to be the temple of God. 
a new and better sanctuary. Paul put it this way. What? Don't you know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? We are the new temples of God. In fact, they tell me that the temple that was built was glorious. And God appreciated that by showing how much uh, he appreciated it. He filled the temple with his glory. But remember the prayer of Solomon. He says, the heavens of heavens. Can... So God wants to live right here in us. This is the temple of God. And we should keep this temple sanctified and holy. Paul said, know ye not that you are the temple of God? I have never seen Solomon's temple, but I, they tell me it was a sight to behold. And yet, God said, right here, I'm going to move in your heart. Praise God. And new and better priesthood, a new and better covenant, and new and better sacrifices, and new and better sanctuary. What more could we ask for? God is not called Jehovah Jireh for nothing. He is our provider. Glory to God. Everything that Jesus accomplished was better. In fact, it was superior. Praise God. No, it is not so much about Christ the eternal son of the living God. It is also about the man Christ Jesus. To think that God clothed himself in human flesh and came to us, and some were privileged as to behold his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He became the propitiation for our sins and our mediator. And so it is that because of obedience and the willingness to do his father's will. I put this on Facebook earlier today. Nothing could deter our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from completing his mission that he came to earth for, and that is to go on the cross and purchase our salvation. Nothing could stop that, not even the forces of evil. Nothing. When Peter, Jesus began to explain to them that he was going to be going to Jerusalem, and there he would be betrayed and turned over into the hands of sinners, be crucified. Peter, the Bible says, began to rebuke him. Lord, that's not going to happen to you. We'll see to that, is what he was trying to say. And Jesus turned around and said, get behind me, Satan. Nothing was going to deter our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, from accomplishing his mission for which he came on earth to go 
and give his life to purchase our salvation with his own blood on the cross. Amen. He endured the suffering of the cross, despising the only shame about it that he dis he gladly bore the cross. But there was one thing he despised concerning the cross. Whether you know it or not, they say the pictures do not do him justice. And I agree with this one minister that said, whether you know it or not, they hung him stark naked. That's the shame that he despised about the cross. Other than that, he embraced it because he loved us too much. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Amen. When they hung him on the cross, they hung him stark naked. He was tortured. He was crucified. He died. And was buried. And here's the greatest hope of mankind. He rose again. Glory to God. Hallelujah. He rose again. Triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. Praise God forever. He rose out of the grave triumphant. There were, uh, there were others that were raised from the dead. Lazarus was, was raised from dead, but he died again. Christ ascended to the Father. That's why the Bible says when he, when he got done with his mission here on earth, he sat down. There was nothing more to do. Now, who is that that condemns us, the Bible says? Is it Christ who died? In other words, do we stand, if, if, but it says, rather that he rose. If he didn't rise, where would our hope be? It's the fact that he rose from the dead and now is seated on the right hand of God. Therein is our hope. Philippians Herein is the exaltation of the man, Christ Jesus. Herein is the superiority given to the man, Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.9. Therefore, the Father also has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those things which are in heaven, those things that are on earth, and those things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The man, Christ Jesus Furthermore, exalted by the Father as King of kings and Lord of lords. When you read this, you'll find that 
when he when it says that exalted by the father as king it's capital of kings is not capitalized in other words he rules supreme over all things and i'd like to say here that there will come a time when there will be an end to all this just as there was in the beginning there's also coming an end the bible tells us that when christ is uh, christ right now is seated on the right hand of god but there will come a time where everything that he accomplished on the cross will come to an end you know the plan of salvation pastor if you uh if you will was started in the garden of eden i read that to begin with that jesus would bruise the, satan's head and he will bruise his heel so the plan of salvation was in initiated in the garden of eden from the garden of eden all the way to the rapture and all there's coming an end to all this where jesus who is right now who rules supremely in god's creation which is infinity there's no end to the uh, uh to the uh stars and galaxies out there he rules supreme but one day the bible says that he would say it is finished in other words everything has taken place the rapture is taking place judgment is taking place and everything so his the kingdom right now is in his hand but there will come a time that he will make su himself subject after giving everything back to the father who gave all things to him and he himself after surrendering the kingdom to the back to the father he himself would make himself subject to the father that god the bible says maybe all in all that means not just the father but now it's all once again it's god the father god the son god the holy spirit all in all amen amen a new and better covenant priesthood sacrifices new and better i would say it is indeed superior amen amen we're gonna go into the questions now we uh I was telling Pastor, well, they got, Dave was very fortunate. He only had four questions. I got 15 of them. The, <laughs> praise God. Praise God. The author of Hebrew, now question number one, the author of Hebrew quotes found two. Uh, what does that tells us, tells us about how the early church viewed the Old Testament? Sister Elizabeth, bless your heart. I think that the um, early church viewed the Old Testament as 
could see there was a lot of foreshadowing to Jesus' coming within the early testament. So I think that they they saw it as a good point of reference. Amen. Anybody else? The writings, yes, yes. All these uh, letters and stuff that we have compiled today in the canon for the New Testament was actively being written and, uh, and studied and stuff, so it had not been made official yet. So they relied heavily on the Old Testament. I mean, that was, that was their Bible. Amen. Should I go along with the questions or do, do we have to play the video? Okay. Number two, unlike uh, uh, it, from Acts 13, 32 to 37, what facts are given that are not present in Hebrews 1, 5 to save, uh, through 7? I will help you out here. Unlike David, who saw corruption, and again, like Lazarus, saw corruption who was raised from the dead and later had to die again Jesus saw no corruption that is the wonderful thing about it on the third day he rose and he did not suffer any corruption whatsoever from following scriptures passages how did God use angels in the Old Testament? For instance, Lot and others. Go ahead. Listen, uh, they were used for judgment a lot in the Old Testament. For judgment. Amen. Judgment. Mm -hmm. And some of them had double duty, like Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, they sent the angels in there to bring Lot and his family out of there. Mm -hmm. And then they turned around with other angels and Lot brought it into Sodom and Gomorrah. So they, sometimes they're used for two different reasons. Uh, Daniel prayed and fasted for 21 days. And Gabriel came right away with the answer. Amen. There was warfare going on up there. And Gabriel fought the, the demonic stronghold of that area. And Michael came. So there's another duty an angel had, warfare. He came and did warfare. And Gabriel got the answer to Daniel. Amen. Let us go on. Exodus 23, 20 to 23, verses 20 to 23 is about God sending an angel to go before them as they would journey toward the promised land. But God calls this angel, mine angel. And with a capital A. Any comments on that? He calls him my angel. Um, Go ahead, Elizabeth. So when I was reading uh, Exodus 23, 20 through 23, what I got from it was that the angel was supposed to protect and to lead, and that essentially he was supposed to be in that moment a representation of God and his will because he was given directive from God on what to do. So he was to act in God's stead as a physical form for God in that moment. That's the way I took it. Praise God. Amen. Have another example of a theophany or a Christophany. That's, that's beautiful. That's, that's, that's good, Brother Dave, because when 
Joshua saw the angel, the Bible says we're not to bow down and worship them. But when the angel appeared to Joshua, he laid flat on the ground worshiping him. And he said, are you for us or against us? And the angel said, nay, I'm not for you or against you. But I'm here as captain of the army of the Lord of hosts. Amen. 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 That was the pre-incarnate Christ uh, talking to him. Just like uh, the children in the, in, in the fiery furnace. Why, what would cause Nebuchadnezzar to say, well, there's a fourth person in there. And he looks like the son of God. Because that's who exactly was in the fire with the three Hebrew children. Amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 15, I mean 8, 15 through 19. Oh, yeah. The angel gave Daniel. Because Daniel had a vision. And, and, the, and, the, and the angel Gabriel made him understand it. Or made him, you know, explain to him what the vision is all about. So he's able to understand the vision. Amen? Any, any more comment on that? What is the relationship of angels and Christ, between angels and Christ? Go ahead, Elizabeth, please. Please. Um, so when I was thinking about this, what I got from it was that um, the angels, before Jesus was put on the earth by his birth, the angels kind of did all the things beforehand that Jesus, when he came down, would start doing. So for me, I was like, the angels, you know, were kind of like in his place before, but also the angels were used to uh, foretell Jesus' birth. They spoke of his death. They spoke of his resurrection. And they also speak of the second coming as well, after the resurrection and ascension. Like they foretell the entire story of Jesus, but it's kind of sprinkled in different spots. Throughout. I love the, uh, <laughs> I love what they said to me, ye man of Galilee, why do you still uh, stand here gazing up into heaven? He says, this same Jesus will come in like manner as you see him go. The Bible said the cloud received him into glory. And if they say in like manner, that means he is coming on a cloud. And I don't know why people gather here and there and everywhere expecting Christ to return at a certain time, which the Bible says no man knows the hour of the day or the day. Mm -hmm. So why do you stand here gazing? When he comes, he's going to come in that sky on a cloud, just like you see him go. You see him go, and then you see him come. And then that's, that's the vision I had. At the end of my vision, I was airborne through the roof 
of the house, and I was flying towards Christ, and then I found myself sitting up in bed. <laughs> I, I consider myself very privileged to have, for God to have, to have showed me that it was in the most crisp color, defi- definition color, high definition, it was in the most high definition color you ever saw. When the, when the lightning hit the sky and it began to open up, and Christ and all that, it was in colors that no other colors can. <laughs> I, have, uh, I have never bragged about the fact that I will not see death, no. I, I'm very grateful that God showed me the vision, but. Praise God. The characteristics, where are we here? Okay. The characteristics and works of Christ that you find in these verses, Hebrews 8, 8 to 12, 1, 8 through 12. List of the characteristics. I'm sorry. List of characteristics. Go ahead, Brother Ernie. Loves righteousness, <coughs> hates lawlessness. He's anointed above the angels. Amen. He made the foundation of the earth and sits at God's right hand. Amen. Sister Elizabeth. I also had um, that he was the radiance of God's glory, um, specifically that all angels worship Jesus, and that uh, he is above all others, and that he is forever. Amen. Amen. Eternal. Amen. Amen. Make a comparison in verses 10 and 12. How would you explain these verses to someone unfamiliar with Scripture? Pastor, want to comment on that? Um, that Christ will outlast everything. Everything that he does about creation like a garment. And that everything that's created will eventually go away. But God will last up to come. Is, any, is, is it any wonder why God says he pities us like a father pities his children? I have seen some beautiful pictures of, 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 of especially the, uh, you know, the celebrities, uh, uh, beautiful uh, women. And, and then recently in our phones, they have those that are now old and <laughs> Is it any wonder why God pities us? Because he remembers that we are but dust. This earthly body will only last for so long. It's the heavenly body we look forward to in the resurrection when Christ comes. Because we will change. Praise God. Uh, Did we? No video, no? That's it? <laughs> I'll turn it over to the, to the pastor. Yes. Glory to God. I want you to know that I uh, sweated. Yeah.
talk about 